Hey guys, welcome to MarTech Masters. I'm Gabriel Marguglio, CEO of NextD Marketing and your host. Please remember to subscribe to get updates on our latest episodes. In this episode, we had the opportunity to bring back Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell, to build on our conversation last season. During our discussion, Patrick went in depth on ProfitWell's ongoing brand affinity marketing strategy through episodic series, the conception of their different types of shows, and how they are measuring success from their long-term efforts. Patrick's personal passions, our mutual affection for typewriters, and the contrast of the digital versus analog world. You don't want to miss this one. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to MarTech Masters Season 2. I'm here with Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell. Again, he was part of one of our episodes in Season 1. Thank you, Patrick, for being here again. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm just always envious of these typewriters behind you. I just <laughs> We're going to have to hang out at one point, and I'm going to want to use every single one. Uh, so but, but make sure you have your ink ready at some point. You, again, we, we don't connect in many things, but we definitely connect with typewriters. And it's amazing that, you know, you're, you are the one person that comes to this show and also owns typewriters. We will definitely talk about that today, but, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, you, you've got more than one, you're a collector now. So, well, sure you buy a bigger I was just house. about to say. I was about to say, I was like, I want to be clear. We're not on the same level. You are so much on this level than I am. And that's, that's great. I'm, I have like two, I think I have maybe three technically. So uh, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll get there. It's, it's been an interesting journey and, and frankly, it's all your fault. So my, <laughs> my starter collection is your fault. That I wouldn't that even have really me, thought of like having two without you having all of these. It makes me so happy that I've ruined your life forever and you're going to need a bigger it. house now. So uh, you know, once you, that's why I moved one... to Utah, I couldn't, I couldn't afford rent in Boston with all my typewriters that are coming in the future. So I had to move to Utah. Oh my so God. That's, I that's love it. Happened. I love it. I love it. So Patrick, last time you were here, we talked about, you know, how people, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic and we were all about, okay, how can, how are companies keeping and adapting, you know, keeping their customers, avoiding churn, you know, you are an expert in, you know, subscription business and, and pricing models. And it, it was great to have you to, to share some of those, some of those things that people are doing and how they can use profit. Well, your company, uh, before we even go there, we've already talked about typewriters and I'm about to start the whole thing. Why don't you tell people who you are a little bit about your company and, and, and what you do? Yeah, totally. So Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell, uh, at ProfitWell, we build basically what are called revenue automation products for subscription companies. So we plug into your billing system and then we give you free access to all of your financial metrics. And then the way we make money is we have a product that reduces your churn automatically. Um, so kind of like a robo advisor, but for your, your, your churn and your retention. And then we have something that helps automate your uh, pricing and optimize your pricing. So um, we have about, you know, kind of the, the fun claim to fame, braggy numbers. Uh, you know, we have about 25% of the entire subscription and SaaS market using profitable metrics, um, which took a long time to get to. And then um, we're about 70 people out of Boston, Salt Lake and Argentina. And then um, we're bootstrapped. People like that. You know, we haven't raised money, nothing against investors. We, we probably will raise money at some point, but that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the rundown there. That that's awesome. And, and since your last episode uh, that we did together, of course, we'll learn a lot more about you. We've always been big fans of your content and everything you're doing on, on the SaaS world. 
but you invest a lot in video series and podcasts. So we will definitely get to that today. We'll talk a little bit about how you guys do it and, and why you guys do it. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about your personal passions. You, you know, you mentioned typewriters, uh, you mentioned Argentina, you mentioned, you know, moving to Utah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal yeah. passions and, you know, did you pick up any hobbies during the pandemic, <laughs> like collecting typewriters or things like that? Tell us a little bit more <laughs> about that. Yeah. I, my, my, my personal re my reaction to that question, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I would consider I have any personal hobbies and I know that's, some people would say that is sad um, and maybe it is, but I think um, I, I'm a big believer in, in, I don't, I don't believe in like the concept of work-life balance. That doesn't mean I'm like believes in, oh, you shouldn't rest or go on vacation. That's not what I'm saying. I, I believe more in if you're on a mission, if you have a mission-based role, meaning you're not just trying to clock in and clock out, um, you, it's really hard to be in a mission-based role without aligning your entire life around that mission. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done, and I learned this a lot through the pandemic is um, I, I know that I need to do X, Y, Z with my sleep and my diet and these types of types of things. Um, I, I do do a lot of woodworking and metalworking, but I do that in the context of, I know working with my hands resets my mind to do more strategic thinking work, which is, you know, the nature of, of building software companies. So yeah, I, I guess, you know, it's kind of a con very convoluted way of saying like, I do a lot of woodworking and a lot of metalworking. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of how I think about it. I don't, I don't have like a hobby that's like a passion project and maybe I will one day, but, but not right, right now it's profit well, basically. That's pretty cool. And again, you do have a hobby, you do woodworking and metalworking. So that's literally yeah, the yeah, answer, yeah. but uh, I love that you connect it to, to your passion in, in business and your mission, because it's not just the business. I totally get it. My business is my life the same way. My family is my life. And it's a, it's not just a job that I go there because I have to make money. Uh, so, so there's, there's a lot more behind that helping people, helping other businesses grow and, and all that stuff. But um, I, I do get it because for me is living, you know, working in the digital world and, and, and kind of like playing in the analog world kind of like resets my mind too. I love that you mentioned that because I've never thought about it, about resetting, but I thought about it, the work and play in two different kind of like worlds kind of like allows me to, like you said, use my hands yeah. and I'm a drummer. So I like, I need to move. Oh, it's awesome. Where, where, when I'm, when I'm at work, I could just do this. And literally that's everything I do, right? So moving my body, kind of like getting out of the, the matrix is important, right? <laughs> and starting to use your muscles uh, all over again. That's a, that's a, that's a good analogy on, on what you do on your personal stuff. So of course, you know, you mentioned typewriters. You, you are now a typewriter collector and it's all my fault. That's right. Um, yep. So you own Italian typewriters, you own... American typewriters. Why? What? What's going on with those things? What? Like, it, like why? Is yeah. it all my fault? Literally, and now you're wasting yeah, yeah, your yeah. money on them, or are you using them uh, to like journal or something like that? Yeah. I, so there's there's a couple. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. I um I like mechanical things. I think mechanic. Like there's there's a certain you know when you work in the digital world so much and it's kind of funny because so many mechanical things are now becoming digital, which is great, mm -hmm. but 
I think there's a certain elegance and certain beauty in like, you know, things that have, you know, too many parts or, you know, not enough parts, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of a fascination there. And and then I, what I use them for, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this um, while we were recording, but what I use them for is um, my handwriting's terrible. So, uh, <laughs> but I want something that isn't quite like an email and I, you know, don't want to print, you know, kind of off of a computer, or some sort of card or something. So it kind of like bridges that gap of like, oh, this was clearly written on a typewriter. The person thought about me being the person thought about it, that type of thing. So yeah, that's kind of the thing. I, I don't know if I'm going to get as hardcore as you, but I, I do admire your collection. I, I have too many and, and we're not going to talk about that because people are going to stop watching thinking that I'm crazy. So uh, let's, that's let's right. keep going and moving, moving on, moving along. Uh, so no, that's awesome. And I use, I use them to journal too. And I feel like there's the, there's, there's that connection with mechanical things too. It's, it's, it's awesome to, to have something that is 50 years old or hundred years old and is still working, which doesn't exist anymore in this world. So there is that connection, but also just typing in it. I totally re recommend it. If people like to write is a, it's a completely different experience. Um, you don't have the autocorrect bothering you every five seconds and cutting your stream of consciousness and all that stuff. So let, let's go back to, to you and, and your mission and, 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 and where you are, um, you know, with, with the video content and the, the podcast content. I, you know, last time you were here, we, we didn't talk about that. And, it, and we were like, how did we not ask him this? This is the <laughs> one thing he's like the king of content. Uh, especially in the SaaS world, but uh, every time you come up with a new video series or a podcast, it's a better idea than the last one and it's more produced and there's more behind it. I, I want to learn about your process. Share as much as you are willing to share, but uh, why did you start? How did that come to be the, the one thing that, that you put most of your energy? I know you create all kinds of different content, but you're definitely yeah. spending a lot of time and effort and, and driving a lot of your passion is going there. How did that come about? Yeah. So it's, I, I do think that there's a, a certain appreciation just for good content that I have. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not really what was driving it. I think really the business and the market was driving it. So to put that in, to, to bring that to life a little bit. So, um, you all know about content marketing. I'm sure the audience knows a lot about content marketing, right? Mm -hmm. um, when inbound kind of came to be over the past, you know, what, 15 years now, mm -hmm. um, what was happening is you were living in a world where really early in inbound, you could publish, you know, a two page PDF and you were like a God, like, oh, I can't <laughs> believe you're giving this white paper away. Right. Um, and and the, the, the playbook for content was we have this like offer of some kind we're going to do a bunch of stuff around that offer to drive people to that offer. And then mm -hmm. we're going to have that drip campaign and hopefully those leads become customers based on qualification. Mm -hmm. And it's not bad. It's, it still works. Right. But the bar kept going up for the, the quality of the offer. And even then there's just so much noise out there, right? There's just so much more content. Like everyone's doing, you know, 1500 word blog posts, right? It used mm -hmm. to be like, you know, when we started the company, it was like, why would you do anything over 1200 words, right? <laughs> yeah. Google doesn't even care, right? Mm -hmm. And so what, what ended up happening is when we started, like we were always doing content because um, we ended up getting a free HubSpot account because one of our board members is the head of product over there. 
Um, and so that, that made it kind of, it was kind of like one of those, Oh, let's do this. And, and we're in a space, at least in our market, um, where uh, people crave kind of knowledge. But in addition to that, there's not a lot of people talking about some of the things we talk about. And um, we have a smaller market in terms of number of logos, meaning there's probably only 150,000 subscription companies out there and we serve mm -hmm. subscription companies. So we had this and we were looking at, okay, we're going to build our marketing team for the first time. Cause I was the one just doing the blog post every week, you know, or the, the big report or whatever it was. And what ended up happening is we started doing the research and we discovered a cool couple of cool factoids. So one, um, for a B2B kind of blog, the max average number of touches you could expect, meaning if everything's going well, the number of times like good leads would come to your site uh, per week was like 1.6. Mm -hmm. So meaning like you could get almost two touches a week from good leads, right? If you're doing some blogs, maybe they find an old blog, maybe they find a social media post, but in reality, most of us, it's like less than one touch per week from good leads, right? Mm -hmm. That you're targeting. But Media companies, Bloomberg, who we studied, The Skim, which was you know on the rise right when we were there, their max averages are between five and eight, right? And then we started thinking, well, what would we need to do as a company to send an email every single day and you not get pissed off, right? <laughs> and so these things started coming together. And the basic thesis was, and it's kind of funny, and I'll tell you why in a second, was media companies are the best in the world at driving traffic. They're the worst in the world at monetizing that traffic. Mm -hmm. SaaS companies are pretty good at monetizing traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So let's put these together. And it, it's kind of funny because after all of that research, I, I someone forwarded me the first interview I ever gave, um, which was like in 2013. And I described Profit, and this is when I, who knows how to describe the company, right? <laughs> I described ProfitWell as, a, as an economic think tank wrapped in a media company. <laughs> Because basically the idea was, is like, we have a bunch of knowledge. We deploy that knowledge into product, yep. but then we talk about and we amplify that knowledge mm -hmm. out. And so it's kind of fun. And I don't know, like if I actually knew what was coming or anything like that, I think it was more just like the world was going that way already. And I was internalizing it, but this is the, that, that's the basic idea of like why we started doing this and, and to give, I realized I didn't even tell people what's going on. So um, we have a media network. So we have a media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Mm -hmm. We haven't like hard launched it, but if you go to profitable.com slash recur, um, R-E-C-U-R, that's, that's our media network. It looks like Hulu looks like, you know, whatever. Um, type of company. And we have seven shows that are series, meaning they're video series or podcast series, or even written CD series on the site. And then we have a lot of one-off content that we do as well. But yeah, that's the, that's, that was the basic, um, basic kind of um, premise or the basic start of it. And I can get into like how we manage it because our team is not huge. I think our content team is like four people. So it's a lot of like, it's, we've done a lot of automation and things like that to get to that point. Yeah, no, actually, thank you for sharing so much about that. And and again, we've seen all kinds of companies trying, you hear it at Inbound, like you said, every year, become a media company, become a media company, but not a lot of people are doing it right. I see you guys doing it right and doing it over and over again. Uh, one of my questions is, how do you define your strategy with the shows? Are you purposely putting together different shows are you learning from one show to create a new one? Uh, some people say you have to keep going and consistency is important in the audience. You don't want to lose it. So what's your train of thought with all these different moving parts when you have a media company um, and so many shows running? Yeah. So the basic idea 
there's two there's two threads maybe three but let's start with the two threads i asked too the, many the, questions that's a no no it's great <laughs> no no no. i meant there's 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 two there's two kind of main parts of that answer i think for one um you have creative direction mm-hmm. and then kind of mechanical production those are the two pieces so creative direction i think we messed up a lot actually um in the early days because um what we got to i'll tell you where we got because i think that's the most you know useful for everybody mm-hmm. um Basically, you have your personas or your ideal customer profiles or whatever it is, or you have the problem that you're solving. Those Mm -hmm. are kind of two different things. And then you have, um, you basically have a cross section. So for us, we ended up having, uh, for instance, uh, you know, subscription SaaS companies. So these are B2B companies, subscription e-commerce companies, you know, box of the month kind of companies, and then also consumer subscriptions. So those are three kind of verticals, if you will, where our personas kind of sit. And then we have a couple of problems we solve, retention with one of our products, as well as pricing with another of our products. And then there's kind of this general idea, which means, you know, this is like very top of the funnel content where you're trying to attract that person in with, um, you know, not quite a very specific thing based on your, your, your kind of company or your product, but just kind of like, this is entertaining content uh, to the person that you care about, right? So we have that grid and then we're basically attacking each section of that grid. So under the SaaS column, we have pricing page teardown, which is this video series where we tear down pricing pages, collect data and you know give little case studies on different companies pricing. And then we have a general show, which is something called Protect the Hustle, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a um, interview series. I do like writing as well on it. Um, And basically it's it's kind of like executive development for B2B SaaS uh, executives, essentially. And then in the subscription e-commerce column, we have things like uh, D2C Price Right, which is uh, a show that's basically pricing page teardown, but for D2C, looks a little different, formats Mm -hmm. a little different, but it's basically the same thing. And then we have the show called Boxed Out, which is a retention-based show about subscription box retention. So that's kind of like the strategy that guides us. And below this, or kind of the undercurrent on the mechanical production side of things is um, that's what took a lot of time to figure out. So when we think about over the years here, we started with, and this is what I recommend people start with, if they want to do video, just start with making a blog post into a video. Meaning when you put that blog post out there or even your ebook or whatever it is, also do a video version. Maybe it's just you talking and people take out the ums and the ahs and they just put something nice on the front and something nice on the back. And that's simple. That's it. Just start there, right? Or the alternative is uh, just start a podcast, right? These are the first two things I would start with. We're starting all over again. Um, because I think that a podcast, again, if you're not comfortable with video and like, you know, kind of doing multiple takes and dealing with, you know, all the technology podcast is simple enough to figure out. You don't have to worry about a lot of things. Um, you're still going to get in your own head, but over time, and this is, was the, the hard part. We had to figure out how do we make sure that we are doing this efficiently? Cause right around when we started doing this, there were like, you know, Buzzfeed started doing its own video series. And we read at one point they're hiring 30 people for one show. And we're just like, we, we're not going to do that. We can't afford it. Right. So what we had to do is first figure out, okay, how do we do a series with reasonable amount of time and reasonable cheapness? And that all of a sudden, just thinking through all the steps. Well, if we film it week by week, oh, like we have to set up and tear down takes 90 minutes each. Like that's a lot of extra time across a whole season of a show. What if we shot the entire season in one or two days? 
And then all of a sudden that was an unlock. And there's a lot of little unlocks like that. Like, oh, let's write this out. Let's do this. Let's script this. Let's make this more vampy. And then over time it became, how do we do it daily? Because if we can do it daily, that means our infrastructure from a tech perspective, whether it's audio or, um, or video, um, all of a sudden we were capable of doing it. And we killed our daily for a while because mm -hmm. it just, we weren't getting what we needed out of it. And we had other priorities, but we, can, we have the capability of doing it. So that made it so that we can do a bunch of shows at once with a, a small team, basically, um, and not miss out on anything. And so I think that's the big thing is like separate those two things out. Think about your customer. Think about the problem. Try not to do just a generic interview show unless you have really good charisma um, or you're going to like script it and really heavily edit it. Um, or you're going to have like really good guests because you just have access to really good guests or something like that. Um, I think that those are are, you know, if you're really boring and you have boring guests, um, you, you're, it's going to be tough. Um, but if you script it a little bit and you're boring, then you're going to sound great. Right. Um, but yeah. And then the other thing I would say is um, it's also kind of falling in love with what is an acceptable amount of people to watch something. So pricing page teardown, honestly, we get tens of thousands of people to watch it a month when it's in season, which is kind of insane. If you really think about it um, for a B2B SaaS pricing show, right. But then we have other series that, you know, maybe it's like 500 people a week and that's great, right? Because if I had a webinar where I was getting 500 people a week, holy cow, like that's amazing, right? So it's, it's kind of making you sure you put it in context and not trying to chase like, oh, I'm going to become the biggest YouTuber when you're talking about like a market that doesn't even have a million people in it, right? So that's a big thing to kind of think about. I love your, your, your comments and your ideas on how to start. I thought that was great because that's very actionable for people. Uh, and now it's like, okay, now you're running a show and, and you decide to put all this time. And again, it's also important to do it in a manageable way. That's another thing that we decided is like, okay, yeah, I can record two, three hours a, a, a week. And then we have a show running, right? Like that's important. Uh, but then it's like, like, when do you decide that it's working? When, how do you measure success how do you attribute you know success is it sales is it branding in in your case i know that it's changing your brand and sh shaping your brand right um but also do you do you connect the dots with sales is it is it bringing mm. sales is it bringing uh the business growing and and it doesn't have to necessarily right but uh, but we see those two different worlds um in those two different conversations do we measure success on a metric? And I know you're very metric oriented, or do we measure success as how the brand is growing and how people are talking about it? And how do you measure success there, right? Like, how do you connect those dots? This was the hardest part, you know, everything else was like effort, but it wasn't necessarily difficult, right? You know, and, and, and you know, yeah, like putting together concepts and writing and these types of things, it can, it can get difficult, but, you know, not as difficult as, okay, with, theoretically, and this isn't real either, but we, we convince ourselves that if I can measure a click on an ad and then someone purchases it, oh, that ad was worth something, right? Well, how do I know, like, is it, well, someone watched a piece of content or looked at a piece of content and then they purchased, like, can I really see that? Is that like, do I know that that was the thing that contributed to it? Probably not, but that's kind of the nature of like multi-touch attribution with things, right? And this is a problem that is, is rarely solved. Um, and we kind of convince ourselves, well, if we can't perfectly solve it, we're just not going to do any of it, right? Or 
we're not going to do it unless we can perfectly attribute it, which I think is also the wrong answer. And so I think what we did is we looked at a couple of factors. One, um, what was the actual cost, right? So before we even started, we realized that the cost of kind of a show, um, and some of the shows are a little more expensive than others, the cost of kind of our average run-of-the-mill show, it's probably, or it is the same price, if not cheaper than writing a good ebook. Uh, and that was a really big unlock because all of a sudden we're like, well, are we going to write an ebook? Or are we going to write this thing that has 13 episodes and that's 13 weeks we can like distribute it and get social yep. shares and these types of things. And it was kind of, it started to be a little bit of a no brainer, right? Cause we were like, yeah, oh, this, even if, even if this like doesn't work well, we're at least proud of it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, you know, it's more work in terms of an ebook, you know, in a lot of cases, but it, it kind of like, we started hedging and thinking through like, okay, well, if this ends up not being really great for money, it's great for brand, right? And, and part of this is kind of convincing ourselves. But then the other thing we did is we put in, you know, some basic tracking, right? Hey, like, you know, did that person watch a show and did they end up coming a customer? We don't necessarily have perfectly, like they went from here to here to here to here and then became a customer, but we can see in general, like, this many customers, they saw this content before they ended up purchasing. So clearly there's some influence there. And if enough revenue is being influenced, great, that's awesome, right? So I think that's that's the kind of thing you have to come to terms with. And, and frankly, it's the same argument with just generic content marketing, right? It's the same argument. Um, and so I think you have to be a little more comfortable with um, not just doing this for revenue, but also doing it in a way that... Um, you know, you do have some tracking so you can justify at least on some level um, what ends up happening. Of course. Yeah. One of the things we, we did um, is we did simple, simple reporting where we had lists of people and leads that watch video, leads that didn't watch video, and then customers that watch video and didn't watch video. And then we did the calculation. Okay. What's the percentage of leads turning into customers that watch video compared to the ones that didn't? And it was like yeah. triple. So yeah. Even though, like you mentioned, that is not attribution for sure. Uh, that yeah. is not a direct connection between someone watching and because they watched, they bought. But definitely, if people that watched close at a three times the, the, the rate, then definitely there is some kind of, uh, some kind of, you know, change in mentality, some kind of, you know, something adding value because they watch the video. There is a correlation, if you want to call it, right? Even though we yeah. hate that connection, but sometimes you can't just be all metrics. Uh, even though, again, like I said, you you love metrics, you're all about metrics and you're always taking it to the next level with the metrics. It is important when you're doing these efforts to actually believe in the brand, believe in, in brand affinity marketing that's going to build something bigger than just leads and visits and customer numbers, right? Yeah, totally. I think it's, I think we get caught up in, and this is ironic given obviously what, what, what I, my, my personality and everything. I, I think what you realize is that it, not everything is measurable in a perfect manner. And you know this, if you've even just taken basic statistics classes, now you can have really high confidence and that's kind of what you should focus on is like, how confident are we? Um, and then measure, you know, kind of the ROI, right? Like we'll measure, you know, a blog post view at a different rate than a video view, right? If they, if they view a video, they're worth more to us in terms of like, you know, momentum than if they just read a blog post, right? So there's just different things that you have to measure um, that I think become really powerful. Of course, of course. So talking about, again, talking about these, these, 
brand affinity efforts and uh, how we how we're gonna do how how you make these decisions on tracking or not tracking or working on the brand or or how you actually um, decide on to actually create a new show. Do you do you have any mistakes that you guys you guys did that you know you you learned from those mistakes? Anything that that you would say you wouldn't do it again, or because you did these things, now you're doing it better in another in another aspect of the of the yeah. videos. I don't think I don't think necessarily from a branding perspective, because I think as a company we're still kind of terrible at setting our branding, if that makes sense. Like not not from like a brand affinity thing. I think it's more like we're not we have this problem where we uh we we have multiple different products that serve different customer types and we're kind of like the subscription company right but it, that's cool and all but then people are like well what do you guys actually do right we have that kind of problem and and on some level i'm okay with that problem if the second best thing is hey we don't really know what they do but they're really good at content and they they know their stuff right I'll take that because then someone who's like, hey, what do you do? Like, it's an easier conversation, right? Now, that being said, you know, we, we got some work to do there. But that being said, I think that the way I like to think about um, our trajectory, the one thing that we got really good at or we're getting really good at, you've seen this in the latest work versus some of the first work is we're getting better at like developing concepts as quickly as possible. So the, the one big mistake we made, and I think that, if we had to do it all over again, we would just do this in a different order was instead of kind of focusing on, all right, let's, you know, iterate on pricing page teardown and let's iterate on some of these new retention shows. Instead of doing that, we like went to the daily. And I think with the daily, we tried to do it way too long and way too much. So basically like we did it for, you know, 90 some days and it, developing that even before that took like six weeks for the team members working on it. And it just didn't have the right structure to be developed. And so just things kept getting longer and longer. And then I, I sat the team down. I was like, Hey, do you realize how long this has taken? They didn't even realize like how long, like when they started. Right. And so I think that was a big thing is like, you know, walk before you run, but still like know that you're going to go and try to run. Um, but I think we've now gotten really good at like developing a concept. We're like, cool, we got to do this. Then we have to do this. Then we have to do this. And we're not going to move on to this until we do this. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's the biggest kind of unlock that we've had. That's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing so much. This is amazing. Again, yeah, totally. um, any, anybody else out there that's doing it right? Have you, are you, are you, you know, following any, anybody doing video or brand affinity or, or becoming a media company? That, that is doing it right and, and that you get ideas or, or that we can promote or like, I, I'm always intrigued who else is doing it right. And again, people say you, by the way, I just interviewed nice. John Bonini from Databox and he said, oh, yeah, you know, nice profit idea. well, of course. So, uh, so, so do you have any, anybody out there that you've seen that is doing it right or that you can get great ideas from? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Wistia is always a good one to like point out, right? But I of think course. the thing with Wistia, our goal is to, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I don't know if we, well, we're going to say it publicly now, but I don't know if we would, we would necessarily characterize this. This isn't the best characterization, but it's like our stuff should be trick people into thinking it's Wistia level <laughs> without costing Wistia level time and money, right? 
<laughs> and I think like, you know, it's, it's a little bit relative, but like, they're, they're so good, but they spend, they, they spend, they, they spend a lot of time and their whole thing is like really high quality, yep. um, you know, over volume, right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the way that they think about it, which is great. Right. And, and that's the nature of their product. And I think because they're a video hosting and analytics platform, um, and they're kind of a brand affinity platform now, actually, yep. uh, they kind of need to do that. I think what I struggle with though, is like, I want to look at the brands that, either are in this business, like this is their business is like media, or I want to look at the brands that don't have a lot of budget, but are doing really cool things. So mm-hmm. I'm going to throw this right back at John. I think Databox, what's really interesting is oh, he, yeah. he doesn't have like a team of 50 or something like that. Um, he's doing some really good content. And in addition to that, their SEO game is really strong. So they're able to do this very similar to us in, in really a value. So I look at them and I go, okay, what are they doing there? What are they doing there? Oh, we should do that too. Like that type of thing. And, and it works out really well. And then I think other companies that just, this is their job. I think you have to look at like morning brew. You have to look at the hustle. You have to look at skim, which is still around. Um, you got to look at some of these companies that their job is to be a new age media company and see what they're doing. Um, but I also think that, um, there's a lot we can learn by, you know, people who are just really good at different skill sets. I think we're really bad at distribution. Like we have good distribution just baked in, but our social game is terrible, right? So we study like what Kobach is doing with Fast. You know, we study what some of these DTC brands are doing. And and yeah, I think that's that's kind of how to think about it. So there's a hopefully a couple of brands to think through. I know other people are jumping on this train. So like HubSpot's jumping on this train. Um, you know, they bought the hustle mm-hmm. recently. Um, and there's other, you're going to see this more and more. Now, I think it's really tough for a traditional marketing, you know, kind of content company to change to this mindset uh, because they've built all of their systems around these loops, right? You know, build the offer and then do a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. to atomize the content around it. So we'll, we'll see how this works out. I think if there's anyone, HubSpot will figure it out, obviously. But I think that um, a lot of brands are going to do what, you know, what brands like to do, which is like, oh, I need this strategy. Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to go like do this. And then they're not going to like go through the right, uh, the right motions, if that makes sense. Of course. Of course. Do you, do you think that small businesses can do this and, and create a brand affinity engine and, and, and use either podcasts or videos? You know, we, I, I love that you mentioned you know, Wistia as you want to do it as Wistia that to look like Wistia, but not using all the resources. Because when we talk to Wistia, they are whatever, 35, 45 people now. And, and they look like they're 150, right? Like they also are doing the same thing there. They want to be Hollywood. They want to look like Hollywood, but without using the resources of Hollywood, uh, that's why they did 110, 100. And that was amazing because they showed that the different ways of doing it without the resources. Um, so can small businesses do this? Um, and again, resources are different. Small businesses have different resources. But do you think that a small business can actually do this uh, right and do it right? Of course, not mm-hmm. becoming a whole media company, but using these type of brand affinity efforts to get more of a brand um, thing going and not so much focus on look, like the metrics like we talked about, but also building a brand with, with the affinity side of things. Yeah. I think the thing you got to think about is um, not every brand needs to do multiple shows and all these other things, right? I, I think, like I said in the beginning there, just start a podcast, like come up with a concept 
an outline of what it is. Um, if that's too hard, at the very least, just do like an interview show, even though I said, hey, try to do a little bit more because I don't think the effort to do a little bit more is, um, you know, is, is um, you know, th that much. But just try, just do something. Like there's people want to know about pool cleaning. Like if you sell the pool cleaners, start a pool cleaning podcast, right? You know, and you're not going to get like, you know, random people who are just like really into pool. You're going to get other pool cleaners. Mm -hmm. I want to listen to you. My dad is, he's retired, but he's, he's a welder and HVAC engineer. Like that was his job. There are people who have welding followings that have 150,000 downloads per episode podcasts, right? So don't think that you're like too small or your, your niche or something is, is not interesting. Um, and also think about like, if you're a supply chain management software company, there's only 150 customers in the world that are interesting to you. What better way to get them help than get to know you by interviewing them. And yeah, maybe you only get 50 downloads of an episode, but those 50 are a third potentially of your market base, right? If you think about mm -hmm. it. So yeah, long story short, I think it's, it's, you don't have to go big and go crazy. It's just, the, there's a lot of power in quite literally being, you know, between the ears of, of someone in a way that, you know, a, a blog post just doesn't get, you know, independent of, you know, if someone wants to read it or not, it's just, it's a different way of interacting with people. That's a lot more powerful. It's got higher fidelity. So awesome. yeah, I think anyone can do this. They just got to start with, you know, basics. They don't need to go all out, you know, a microphone costs, you, know, you can get cheap microphones. There's a lot of free software out there. Um, but if you want to spend some money, it's like, less than a couple hundred bucks, you know, to, to, to do it, you know, really well. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you again, Patrick, for all this plethora of advice and, and all your experiences. Uh, you're always very generous with sharing. If you, if you don't follow Patrick, follow him. If you are in the subscription industry, not only follow him, but check out profit. Well, he shares literally everything. He goes out and tells you the numbers and if it works, if it doesn't work, B2B, B2C, you'll learn so much from just following him on Twitter and LinkedIn, but then go check out his series. They're sometimes even, you know, fun and, and engaging. And that's part of the whole equation to make it fun and engaging. And, uh, and, and you'll definitely learn a lot from it. Uh, where can people find your shows, uh, Patrick? Yeah, if you just go to profitable.com slash recur, um, you'll be able to pick up on a lot or, you know, I post all of our shows and stuff like that on, on LinkedIn um, as well as Twitter and these types of things. So you just connect with me on LinkedIn. So that'll, that'll be, that'll be easy if you don't want to go to our website. Awesome. Thanks again, Patrick, for being here. Uh, anything else you want to, you want to promote today? No, I mean, just if I can be helpful, let me know. Uh, my email address is Patrick at profile.com. So feel free to hit me up. I think uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's even if you're not in our industry and there's no like, you know, monetary incentive for me, I'm just a big fan of, you know, educating, evangelizing these types of things. So feel free to hit me up. That's awesome. Really, again, really appreciating you being here again with us. Of course, uh, it goes to my heart that you are a typewriter lover like like me <laughs> uh, and, a, and a passionate uh, welder and, and, and woodworking uh, person with a lot of hobbies. Uh, but no, thank you again, Patrick, for sharing so much, always for being that such a, such a, um, such, such a, an inspiration in the video side of things, in the content side of things, we are all following you and learning from you. So thank you for being here again and, uh, and helping all of us, uh, make things better and better over time. Yeah. Appreciate you. Appreciate the, the kind words there. And, uh, yeah, just let me know. I can be helpful. Awesome. Take it easy, Patrick. Have a good one. All right. Stay safe. 
Merci, bye. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of MarTech Masters. Make sure to visit our website at nextdinnymarketing.com to watch the series or subscribe to our podcast to be the first to check out our newest episodes. If you enjoyed our content, please leave us a review or rate our show on your podcast app. 